This episode and all of our South by Southwest coverage is brought to you by Blackmagic Design. Hey everybody, this is John Fusco and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. If there's one universal truth about filmmaking, it's that it's hard as hell to get your picture made. So if you're going to go through all the trouble of making a movie, you better damn well make sure you're not scared to tell the story that you want to tell. Luckily, there's no better time to do this than at the very beginning. Rick Alverson is one of the most daring filmmakers on the planet. His latest film, The Mountain, is a surreal odyssey concerning the very heart of creativity itself, the mind. Or rather, the antiquated science behind destroying it. In the film, Ty Sheridan plays a young man who, after losing his mother, goes to work with a doctor, portrayed by the unhumanly charismatic Jeff Goldblum, who specializes in lobotomies. The timing of this film's release is no coincidence. While we may not be walking around the streets with a literal blade being held to our skull, every day we are subject to creative suppression from an overabundance of media, screens, and pop culture. And while mainline cinema may do its best to further this narrative, Alverson argues that it's our duty as independent filmmakers to buck the trend and create art that leads to critical thinking. It's a truth that he learned sometime along the middle of his career that filmmaking should be about having a conversation with a medium and not a promotional exercise. Filmmakers should meditate on how they can contribute to the art form itself and not look for personal advancement. There's no better time to start this practice than at the very beginning. I sat down with Alverson and Sheridan to discuss how filmmakers can look to achieve this very notion at South by Southwest. Enjoy. Hey everybody, this is John, and I'm here with Rick Alverson and Ty Sheridan. Even though I just introduced you guys, I'm going to let you introduce yourselves just so the audience knows who's speaking when oh. they speak. So, starting okay, I'm Ty Sheridan. <laughs> and uh, I'm Rick Alverson, the filmmaker. <laughs> Kidding. Perfectly. Uh, I'm, I'm Ty Sheridan. And I'm Rick Alverson. And Rick is the director of The Mountain. And Ty, what's the, what's the name of the character that you play in The Mountain? Andy. Andy's Andy. the character I play. And uh, I saw the film. I It's right up my alley. It's just like a surreal, dark, uh, unique story uh, about a uh, traveling lobotomist and something that you I've never, something which I've never really seen the likes of before. Um, and I was wondering if we could actually first focus in that sense on the visual decisions you made um, in terms of uh, the look of the film because it's really a beautiful film to, to look at. There's so much going on in every frame. Um, can you talk a little bit about what the discussions you had with your cinematographer beforehand uh, to make it feel so rich and dynamic? I think? Yeah, my, uh, my DP, he shot uh, Entertainment that Ty was in also in my last film, and, and uh, his name's Lorenzo Hagerman. And uh, I mean, we... Uh, the, the the film really strives to to uh, question the 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 ubiquitous value of narrative, um, and so it's sort of it, it's it's I, I like to think about it as like an obstruction film, a beige obstruction. I mean, it, it's it's very much about the form, and everything about it. I mean, even the stilted sort of like uh, blocking and the 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 tableau like shots and everything it's almost like a uh, you know a, like a museum quality artificiality at times and, mm-hmm. and uh, so I mean it you know uh, but it's uh, it's sort of it, while that might seem beautiful at the same time it's not really that romantic tonally you know um, no, it's disquieting uh, really yeah I mean it's supposed to we were, it was, we, we were like struggled and uh, we're interested in removing some of the 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 
typical romance of the uh, uh, of the period, you know, of the of the 50s, and uh, that cinematic cinematically, even in in the dark dark uh, uh, narratives about uh, mid-century, there's inevitably a kind of uh, intoxicating beauty about it uh, that that uh, um, this sort of you know we 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 tried to neuter a little bit. So. Can you also talk a little bit about the, is it a one-to-one ratio that you guys shot in? What was no, that? No, that would be the Mommy Xavier Delon ratio, which is very nice. Yeah. Um, uh, but uh, uh, did you see that, Mommy? Yeah. But, yeah. Yeah, he did the Instagram one-to-one. Yeah. This is, it's just, it's 4-3. It's 4-3. Yeah. Straight up. Uh, what, was the des- yeah. what was the decision uh, making behind that? Uh, well, I mean, I really, I, from, from a, a, a sort of... Uh, uh, a pedestrian viewpoint. I love the idea that, like, we uh, in widescreen that that with the, inevitably we're watching these things on our on our televisions or our computers. Let's be honest about it. And but with the, with the widescreen and cinemascope and that sort of thing, things that we feel are really cinematic by their nature. You know, we have we we lose screen on the top and bottom, mm-hmm. um, uh, and you know, in four three you lose it on the sides. But for some reason. Uh, it it's, feels like an obstruction on on the sides. It's almost annoying to the viewer to have uh, black bars on the right and left, while on the top and bottom we welcome it with open arms, which is really interesting to me. You know, and I love this idea that you sort of like it feels like an obstruction that you would want to get around, or you're like, you know, what, what what's on the other side when somebody passes, uh, you know, uh, out of the frame, which they don't typically do. You think that's, do in my, you think that's because we're accustomed to seeing? the format that way uh, uh yeah uh yeah i think it has to just do with the 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 romance of cinemascope and and that when we move from uh, from generations when we move from four th- four three televisions to 16 nine monitors we want we want to see the whole thing you know it's like but people don't think about frames you know it's like uh suddenly it's it's uh it's it's like a, you know uh, we have we have total access if it goes to the edge of the frame. Well, what's what's to the left of your television? <laughs> well, that was another thing that I mean I remember <clears throat> on set it was a it was a very conscious effort of yours to always keep the subject in the frame. That, I don't think there's one shot where someone walks in and out of the there is at the very end which, when Andy leaves the car. Oh, I let him yeah. go out of the frame right. because he opened the car door. So right. I'll let people leave the frame if they go through doors or if they go into a, a hallway and they, you know, but they can't leave. I, I, I hate them leaving the frame. I tried to leave the frame of their own so volition. Many times and you yeah. said, because I, I it yeah. sort of uh, uh, it feels it's too easy on the on the on the on the audience. To, it's almost like the it it, 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 it it would seem like it would emphasize the frame. But I think it does the exact opposite, it allows you to believe that you're looking through sort of a peephole and. Uh, you know, uh, I don't. I, I think we like people to leave the frames, and of course, you know, I don't want to make people happy. <laughs> uh, because it it liberates us. We feel like, oh, it's it's okay. <laughs> no liberty in this film. It does feel very uh, confining. I think uh, with that yeah, in regard, right. but it also yeah. something a uh, another side of effect of that is kind of it makes you acutely aware that you're watching a film you know what i mean it's not like good i think that that's that's a can be a very healthy thing can you speak a little bit more to that uh yeah i mean it's you know it's the whole formal uh, uh 
emphasis of like we're a content-driven society, you know, and we we don't we don't so much so that we we don't know the 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 least thing about like a chair that we would buy or be able to look at a table and realize it's only going to last us five years. You know, and there's a, I mean, all of the problems with, with, with social media and all of the problems in the election were because of a, an absence of formal intelligence. I mean, children have critical formal intelligence that most adults in the United States don't have any longer because it's winnowed away from them. I mean, they're essentially taught to be ignorant of what they're looking at and just to pay attention to the story. Yeah. You know, I mean, if a child were to be held by Donald Trump, it would be horrified by the the you know the the, the orange, the orange monster <laughs> and uh, but uh, you know a, a population looks at him and and says you know oh well here's a here's a here's a self-made made man that's a narrative mm-hmm. they're not actually like saying wow this guy is a, a con man you know um, you, so. you, yeah you have so many you know speaking about frames you, there's so many times in the movie where actually there's like frames within frames and you know people in doorways people in windows a lot of squares i find um when you're is that something that you a decision that you make in pre-production do you know that you'll be like shooting in places that are architecturally designed like that um or is that something you specifically look for on the scout and then that informs your decision sure yeah i mean you know it's a me and lorenzo have a similar aesthetic kind of proclivities but uh um, you know, you look for, yeah, you, I mean, we, we, yeah, you're looking for, for those sort of architectural uh, corners and uh, opportunities. And where, where did you shoot the film? Because it, it really feels like, you know, a place that's stuck in time. And uh, the fact that these places still even exist anymore is like unbelievable to me. Unbelievable to me. We shot in New York State between Bronx and uh, Finger Lakes. Really? Seneca, and we shot a lot in Willard, which is now the Willard Asylum, I mean, sorry, the Willard Drug Treatment Facility that used to be the Willard Asylum for the Chronic Insane. Hmm. That was our primary uh, uh, period uh, hospital, but most of them have been torn torn down, all of the Kirkbride hospitals. Um, In and around Syracuse as well. Yeah, we were around Syracuse, Utica, Ithaca, um, Albany. um, uh, Albany was... Kingston. The hydroelectric oh, yeah. plant that we went to in Albany was yeah we shot at the cool. uh, what is that what was that place it the Edison Hudson pow- yeah pow- the Edison power Ford plant. it's not in the film okay so, yeah and then we shot in the Pacific Northwest in the Olympic Rainforest in Mount Baker okay um, you know you touched on it when we were talking about uh, society's inability to sort of uh, see past a certain narrative. Um, and your movie deals with lobotomy in a pretty heavy sense. Uh, why, why now? Why talk about, why tell this story about lobotomy now? Well, I think, that, I mean, the, uh, you know, for, I'm interested in, I'm interested in discomfort in cinema because I'm interested in active audiences that are, that are accessing their innate critical intelligence, that they're sort of asking questions and they're struggling and they're, they're activated and then they leave the theater and, and the hope is that they that they're changed some way or that they're that they perceive the world differently which is to me the value of art of art 
Um, but, uh, you know, over, because cinema is such a commodity, I mean, so often it just uh, anesthetizes us and it pacifies us and it just re- it val- it validates us. And it, it's a, it's a, it can be a relief and there's a place for comfort cinema, but it occupies the majority of the, of the, of the market for a number of reasons, I think. You know, one of them being that, you know, uh, passive audiences are, are great consumers. Uh, they, they, they eat a lot of uh, junk food and they you know, don't go to the voting booths. So perfect populace. Yeah. (laughs) Ty, can you talk a little bit about playing the character and your development of the character with Rick in the sense of, you know, I got a sense uh, throughout the film that, you know, you were lobotomized yourself, you know, throughout the entire thing. Um, Was that a choice that you two had made together? or was kind of, I think that was kind of the... I think the most interesting thing about the character, especially the most challenging, is that he's he's an inaccessible protagonist. Um, and I think that, you know, just to piggyback on what Rick was just saying about, you know, having an, an active audience and, and, some, and, and an audience that's, that's uh, the movie's forcing them to think critically about the content they're, they're watching. Um, I think that he, you know, as you say, not only serves as a surrogate, but I think uh, he also provokes that. Um, and I think that it was just going against the grain, and that and that effort was, you know, pretty interesting for me. He's he almost uh, he's like taking in the movie um, and you know all of its context in parallel to the audience a little bit. So um, it's almost as he serves as the you know the the lens that we're seeing the the world through in, 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 you know, I guess kind of an objective light. Yeah, when you're not watching uh, from the audience standpoint, being aware that you are watching the cinema or the movie, you're watching through your point of view, which is an equally discomforting sort of point of view. Um, you mentioned inaccess- inaccessibility, um, and I think that inaccessibility, my own personal tastes, I uh, really, I'm drawn towards these inaccessible films for the same reasons that you just described. Um, but I find that filmmakers are discouraged, especially emerging filmmakers, uh, people who are making their first shorts or first features um, are discouraged from taking that risk and making inaccessible films. Uh, Do you have any words of advice to filmmakers who are dealing with sort of uh, um, their own sort of inhibitions about taking that risk? Well, I mean, at the, you know, at that point in your career or lack thereof, I mean, it's, that's the time to experiment and try to develop uh, and there shouldn't be those sort of rules, you know, I mean, it is about, you know, you you don't have you don't have the concerns that a that a that a, 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 a professional you know or a person who who has a career in in filmmaking has. They have they have a they're they're essentially being jostled between the demands of the marketplace and their own livelihood. And they're you know it's a constant you know uh, uh, wrestling with different compromises. Um, so I mean I think they should, they should you know. Uh, Young people should be, or when I, I started, my, I made my first film at 30, 38 years of age. So, um, you know, anybody who's starting out should 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 feel liberated to try to develop a voice and not worry about the compromise of accessibility. Certainly, 
throughout your career, I mean, you've been making these sort of dark, surreal films. Uh, how have you grown more comfortable or more confident in that voice? Uh, you know, I think it's it, that you want to have a, a conversation with the medium, you know, and I think I realized that in my third film, The Comedy, uh, because the aesthetic is not one that I really care for, but fit the material. And uh, the subject matter, I find uh, reprehensible. And, uh, uh, but suddenly, it wasn't a promotional exercise, which my first two films, to some degree, why I value them, they felt promotional. My aesthetic, my to the tonalities that I'm interested in, s subject matter that I sort of was curious about. I mean, you know, they aren't entirely that. I mean, the, uh, uh, but uh, it, it, the, the comedy felt like, wow, I'm, I'm having a conversation with a medium and I'm having a conversation with the world through the medium in, in a way that, like, it felt valuable, utilitarian. And so I, I think that uh, I've kind of moved off of, off of that and sort of been inspired by that since then. In, in the term promotional, do you mean sort of, uh, you know, promoting certain parts about your own abilities to make film or promoting your interests your aesthetic your sort of uh uh you know it's an exaggerated like using cinema as yeah. a megaphone as yeah. opposed to as a medium for nice. interaction with the world are you curious about the world do you want to listen to the world do you just want to listen to your own voice you know as you've become more confident as in yourself as a filmmaker without having to necessarily promote those uh, or exaggerate those tendencies your filmmaking tendencies how does that free you up what other tendencies begin to emerge yeah i don't of that? I, I don't think it frees you up it makes things more complicated okay but it but it's but it makes the it makes the the medium va valuable hmm. i mean for yourself because you'll learn you'll learn about the world you learn about the medium you you know you're you, you, like uh, it, it, it makes it it increases the dimension the dimensions of the thing you know and when you create a period piece like this, um, what are the uh, the hallmarks that you uh, use to build the the period or the vibe, like the production design, um, the art design? Yeah, there's just a ton of hard work from a, a lot of people. And Jack mm -hmm. Jacqueline Abrahams, uh, who uh, she did the Lobster previous to this. Oh wow! And, um, she did the production design and. Uh, Elizabeth Warren, we worked with on entertainment, did the costume, and these like are the the amount of like sweat equity that's in that film from those women is tremendous, you know. So um, uh, yeah, it's a it's a ton of uh, uh, headaches. <laughs> <laughs> are there any things in particular that uh, filmmakers looking to create a period piece should? place a lot of attention on as they are in pre-production or as they're writing the script, sort of uh, things where detail is very important. Well, I mean, would you say that you, you know, you avoided the romanticism of the, of the era? I mean, yeah. Because that's I what mean, you're I, most interested in. When, uh, uh, yeah. I, like, anyway, no? I'm not so interested in celebrating cinema. There's enough celebration out there, you know, so I think that any like, young filmmaker should look at the, at the pool and say, you know, uh, what what can I contribute? Where is there space for contribution? And if the pool's pool's full, full, <laughs> then like I think that we should all really question about the necessity of us doing something because there's a lot of resources that go into this business, you know, and those resources come from somewhere. They come on the backs of 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 uh, you know finite. Uh, places and uh, I, I don't know Actually, I think I think filmmakers should be taken taken seriously as a privileged exercise and 
you know, in, in looking at the world. Mm. Um, and Ty, for you, I mean, you're someone who's acted in both like major blockbusters and smaller indie films. Uh, what can you say, uh, based on your own experience, uh, is the difference between the two and what, which do you prefer? I mean, I think I know the answer to the question, but I don't think there's any real preference. Um, I think that, you know, anything that is, uh, <clears throat> I think for the most part, like the rules are, is, uh, is the movie going to be a challenge to me and is it going to challenge someone else? And I think when the answer is yes to both of those questions and I think then it becomes of interest. Um, and I don't really, you know, put major focus on, uh, you know, whether it's a $200 million movie or a $200,000 movie. Um, and I, I guess, uh, you know, in this sense with this film, you know, I think it was more interesting to, um, to explore something that go, that, that goes against, you know, the standards of, of cinema, uh, of contemporary cinema and easy content, you know, satisfaction and, uh, and something that is, you know, a narrative that is kind of spoon-fed to you, you know, I think that, I think that no, I don't know, I think that there's no other filmmaker out there that, that is probably focused on that as much as you are in, in a, in a specific sense. It's because it's a bad, it's a bad idea. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting, you know, and it's like, I, I do think that we should be, uh, conscious of the content that we're pouring into the ecosystem and what it means and how it's pacifying us. Um, so, you know, I, to go back to your question about, you know, big, like big studio movies and, and the difference between those and doing indie films. I mean, I, I, I like to have balance and I think at times, you know, like there, there are times when I want to go and I want to be entertained and there are times when I want to be challenged as an audience mm. member. So, are there times where I want to see something really beautiful and something, you know, conscious of its form? Um, and then there are times where, you know, I just maybe want to be excited. Um, and so I think, you know, there, there's there's a difference between those types of, of films and, and, and those, those different uh, categories of, in cinema. I like asking uh, actors who join us on the podcast uh, what it is about working on this film with this director, strategies that this director used that you like, that you'd wish you'd see other directors use um, more often? Uh, I think it's, you know, from Rick, I think it's the bravery, the amount of, um, the curiosity as well. The, um, I think he's really conscious about his films and in a way that I think a lot of people are not. And I think consciousness about content and, and when you have when you're conscious about your work you're putting out as an artist I think that that's kind of in sync with responsibility uh, and it kind of runs parallel and uh, I I think that he understands that and I always respected that and that's one reason that I love working with him you know we've done two movies together now and uh, also just the, the the collaboration Rick's an easy easy guy to collaborate with he doesn't really he's pretty egoless um for the most part <laughs> and uh i think that's really refreshing 
we have a lot of fun too when we're when we're doing this. Yeah, even, no, it's even, not always even so the films like can be a dull and like <laughs> me and Todd like have a have a a, a laugh. I mean, uh-huh. it's sometimes making the most sort of debilitating, you know, content can be a really a giddy, liberating experience. Oh, yeah. You know, it's strange, uh, and sometimes it confuses people on on set. I mean, there <laughs> there were there were some. Some crew that were sort of uh, we went, I mean we had been up for days and days and days and there was completely uh, delirious. Yeah, <laughs> there was this uh, this scene where uh, um, where a lobotomy was taking place and we we just uh, we, we well it was we, so we, it was so gnarly that it was gnar it was yeah it was so gnarly that it like it hyperbolically stepped over a line into the absurd and it was like a total uh, you know. Uh, cry, crying laughter fit of catharsis <laughs> that spread throughout, you know, the more irreverent of, uh, on the crew. And it was, yeah. <laughs> I wanted to also touch on, um, there is a p- point in your film where the tone seems to shift uh, drastically. And it's it's with, I think uh, his name is Levon. Denny Levon. Denny Levon, where he starts talking about sort of the nature of art. Um, and then it, be, it it delves into the ph- philosophical. Um, and I was wondering if those were your words or if those were words that had been adapted and sort you know, of what uh, it, it means uh, to you. Uh, uh, me and Colm O'Leary, my co-writer, uh, came up with the, the monologues for Denny. Uh, what was that writing process like? It's just, uh, it, it was uh, I mean, it was informed by a lot of... Uh, you know, early surrealist sort of uh, theatrical work like uh, La Tremont and Antonin Artaud and a certain kind of, uh, you know, uh, combustible ego. Um, uh, so, uh, but we also wanted it to be circuitous and like a, a labyrinth and difficult to follow. But it's, I mean, it, there's, there's, there's narrative, uh, you know, stitched, narrative content and everything that's said it isn't some people would say oh it was gibberish but it's not and i think that was important for the character uh because he is he's he's desperate to to exhaust himself and he has a form of exhaustion you know mm-hmm. a form a particular form of male exhaustion that i think reaches a tipping point into the capacity for emotion you know um so He's also, you know, we need to remember, I mean, uh, Andy's, uh, Ty's character, Andy, has a surrogate for the audience, as protagonists are, at this point, has been irrevocably changed. We don't understand how, mm-hmm. uh, but we're feeling it, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, he's subject to this, this, this mania, right. and so are we, you know, and uh, we're as helpless as he is, you know, and I, that sort of tickles me a bit. Yeah, in the moment, like I said, the whole movie seems to change after... Our surrogate also. Yeah, some people changes. that drives crazy. Oh, I mean, I I've heard it from a, a few people. They're sort of like, it goes off the rails, is what's said. But I mean, it's, yeah, it does. I mean, it should. <laughs> I agree. You know. Great, guys. Well, uh, I'm just going to wrap up here by uh, asking you a question I like to finish off these interviews with. And uh, that is if you had one piece, uh, one golden piece of advice for emerging filmmakers, um, emerging. And for you, too, I, I guess along the lines of what you've said you appreciated about uh, Rick's work, uh, what, what advice would you give to emerging filmmakers, directors? I think more now than ever because, you know, of the, uh, of the type of movies that, that, you know, consume 
theaters. Um, it can be hard to get your voice heard, and it's, if it's unique, I think not always, you know, people may not always uh, get it. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's, it's, it's not good. Uh, it just, you know, I think like, like Rick's said, you know, you asked about, uh, risk earlier and like how, you know, young filmmakers are, are afraid to, to explore a narrative that might be quite inaccessible. But, you know, I think that, that art is constantly, the boundaries needs to be pushed always. Um, and I think you need to, you know, uh, challenge yourself, challenge the work, challenge the, the, the content that's ex- existing. And, um, I think, you know, it's not, it, it's, it's not easy to, uh, become a filmmaker or an, or an actor or any artist and, and, uh, do it overnight, um, or just be good at it overnight. So, um, I think hard work and dedication and, and, uh, curiosity more than anything, asking questions and, and learning when you can and, and paying attention and trying to, understand intention beneath the, the story and the uh, and films is really important so um, you know I think if it, you know if you if you have something you feel strongly about doing and you know it's the only thing you can think about then then do it because I don't think you'll ever be satisfied and until you've you know you've um, you've fed that craving yeah you've at least tried <laughs> yeah exactly cool Rick, how about you? Uh, I mean, you know, I, 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 it's uh, we're a very privileged society, and maybe the most privileged on the on the face of the earth, and we can do anything we want. And uh, but I think it's increasingly important for us to ask: Should we? Why should we? What is what is necessary? What is our value? You know, and uh, therefore, therefore, I think that that's that that'll be a that's a road to finding out what your contribution can be and 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 also a way to sculpt you know your what you have to offer and your uniqueness you know so yeah well great thanks guys uh cheers thanks thank you yeah thanks thanks for listening if you like what you heard please subscribe to the no film school podcast on whatever podcast platform you so choose to use you can listen to interviews just like this every monday and of course check out the site for up-to-the-minute news on everything about independent filmmaking. I'm John Fusco. You can follow me on Twitter at Jim underscore John underscore Jim. You can follow No Film School at No Film School. Until next week, take it easy.